The one type of pain that Dr. Lou cannot help with is traffic pain. It is awful in this city. How is uh, my favorite chiropractor there, Captain Crunch? How are you doing this morning? I'm pretty good. I'm actually here. I'm in the parking lot. So I guess <laughs> you do this first segment in, uh, in the car. Yeah, the gardener and the... And Lakeshore, we're a bit of a mess this morning. Yeah, it is good times for sure. So we're going to uh, be doing a bunch of stuff today. How was the uh, How was the week, by the way? Now that you're uh, you're paying for your parking, good. Very good. Uh, one one interesting case that I had this week that I wanted to uh, talk about was I don't want to get into the case too much. I'd rather talk about the outcome of the case. So mm-hmm. I had a a lady that gave me a call and she was asking me about a chronic pain issue uh, that she's been having. And she's basically tried everything that she could from a physical perspective. Right. And so, you know, I'm big on, and not, not because I'm big on it, but because the research supports it, that pain is multifactorial. There's a physical component, but there's also a psychological component. So I started talking to her about, you know, if you've tried everything from a physical perspective, then the only way that you're left to intervene is potentially from the psychological aspect. And she was a little bit offended with that. And she said, you know, I don't think that's fair that you're saying that I'm just making that up. And I said, okay, well, you know, let's, let's start from square one here. I'm, I'm never suggesting that the psychological component of pain means that anybody is making it up. All I'm simply uh, stating is that pain is everything you do in life is interpreted in your brain, and that brain sends out a signal. Mm-hmm. And therefore, pain works the same way. It's the interpretation of what we feel that creates in our brain the perception of pain, which then is sent out to our body. It's, it's a response. And obviously, if you have heightened emotions or any other type of psychological issues, because that's the area where all of this is getting integrated, it can be compounded. And that's why things like distraction and focusing on other things help so well when people don't feel well. And, you've, and I've heard it a ton of times, and I'm sure many of our listeners and maybe even you, John, have experienced that you know, if you're not feeling the greatest, but for whatever reason you get distracted because you're talking to somebody or you're in the middle of doing something, you, you don't really tend to notice your pain. Yep. Or what, and, and the reality of that is just simply because you're distracting your brain because that shows the psychological component of the pain uh, perception and how we perceive pain. So one big thing that I really wanted to, to try to talk about today um, is, is understanding that pain has two components that we can work at from. We can work at it from the physical perspective, uh, and we can also work at it from the psychological perspective. And now right. each one of those is broken down into other subcategories, such as the physical perspective may mean like the biochemical perspective, such as medication or a surgical component or manual therapy or exercise. Uh, and then on the psychological side, just understanding the, the human experience of that individual helps us to understand how they integrate pain. And and when they've looked at research to look at chronic pain and, and what's often associated with chronic pain, two things that they consistently find is a history of depression and poor sleep. And that kind of makes sense because, of course, if you're in pain, you're going to have some type of depression. And, of course, if you have depression and pain, it's going to make it harder for you to sleep. And so it becomes this vicious circle where oftentimes where I meet people that have one of those things, and you start talking to them, they also have the other two. It just goes hand in hand, and, and the research supports that. It's uh, pretty interesting stuff, and that'll be uh, kind of the focus for the first part of the show today. We'll take a quick break, let you uh, run inside here, get yeah. in studio rather than hanging outside with uh, the common surf. So we'd love to have you in here. So we'll take a uh, short break. The number uh, to call through, by the way, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. We'd love to get your opinions. You have questions about pain or anything bugging you in the physical or otherwise. Dr. Lou is here right to 1 o'clock. It is a Dr. Pain show. 
Just getting warmed up right here. Talk radio, AM640. Dr. Payne is here indoors now, much more comfortable than uh, talking in your car. That was uh, pretty yeah. nice in there. There was, actually. right? <laughs> yeah, just the traffic's not. That's yeah. a Jay's game. That's why what's going on there, because uh, they're doing well. We're doing better on this show, that's for sure. So, yeah, pain and the uh, the thought process and the mental component. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and, you know, one of the best ways that I try to highlight this aspect of the psychological perspective of pain um, is phantom limb pain, which we've right. talked about, you know, quite a few times, I would say, on this show already. And for those of uh, of listeners right now that haven't heard us talk about it, uh, phantom limb is essentially when somebody has lost a limb for whatever reason, um, and they can still feel some type of sensation in that limb that's no longer there. And that could be in the form of cramping, an itch, uh, pain, et cetera, et cetera. And what phantom limb pain highlights is the fact that although the physical perspective of your body is missing... Mm-hmm. That although this, these people will say, you know, if they're missing their left leg and they have pain in their left foot, they'll say, I feel it in my left foot, even though their left foot is not there. Neural pathways, right? Neural pathways, that's right. You, mm-hmm. it's, it's the exact same as when we learn to ride a bike. Initially, it's a motor pattern. It's very, very hard. And then after a while, you cannot ride that bike for 10, 15 years. You get back on it, boom, that neural pattern still exists. And it's the same thing with pain Uh, as you think about. And that's why the longer you experience pain, one of the things when uh, patients come in to see me, a a question we often get is how many treatments or how long will this take to get better? Right. And one of the things that always changes person to person, uh, injury to injury, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I can tell anybody is that there's no quick fix when you've had pain for a long time because of that neural pathway component. So chronic is often defined There's some discrepancy, but after three months, six months, some research even says after a year. I think it's about after three three to six months uh, where that chronic pain component really starts to set in. And when you've had that component going on for so long, uh, what essentially happens is you start creating so many neural pathways for that pain. Um, And, you know, one of the the areas where we see this a lot, I I have a patient right now who was uh, hurt in a car accident, and this person... uh, It was a pretty bad accident, but their pain is not getting better. And one of the reasons their pain is not getting better is because uh, they've had to leave work. uh, So they're off of work. um, And all they're really doing is staying home, focusing on their pain. Sometimes sometimes returning, even if it's not returning to work, because some people can't return to the work that they do. Finding something to stop that pathway, because the more you keep thinking back and forth about that pain, all you're doing is creating that pathway. And it creates that vicious cycle of, I can't forget it, it becomes all-consuming. And that all-consuming type of an effect just makes it amplified. It makes it worse and worse and worse. And, and so it's it's often a thing that we have to work with. But anytime something's been going on for too long, the, the treatment response is never going to be easy. Uh, just by the very fact that there's the mental component now in play, that that pain is being created. There's pathways that are being created that can't easily be forgotten. And it takes time to to unlearn or relearn. That's right. To yeah, get away from and, it. Right? Yeah, and and that's the whole process. And in some instances where the chronic pain has been going on so long, you almost it's it's kind of like think about could we make someone forget how to ride a bike right? Probably not. Those neural pathways exist. All you can do is teach them how to not activate those pathways. How do you stay away from that? That's where, um, you know, the psychological side of things, the cognitive behavior therapies that I've talked about a lot about, that's where the real benefit for those things are because they teach you how to uh, take your pain and your perception of your pain and change it. Because right. once you can change that perception, that's the power right there. That's when you can, you can really have a big effect. And it's, it's so interesting because 
And, you know, in the last 10 years, we've seen that mental health is becoming more accepted because there still is a stigma around it for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. Uh, But there is still some type of uh, stigma around it. But it's so important because it plays into everything. And, And that doesn't mean that you have to have a severe mental health issue to experience pain. But those two can go hand in hand. And as I said, when you look at the research, it is not uncommon to see that those who have chronic pain are also suffering from depression. And, and that just shows you how integrated it is. Also because it's all integrated in the same place in the brain. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. You know what's funny? You mentioned riding a bike, and it, it reminds me, I saw, I saw a show last year sometime. What, what these people did, and it, it speaks to what you're talking about, the way it's, the pathways are made. They've taken a bike, and where the handlebars go down into the fork, so you know, normally you get on a bike, you go right. Bike goes right, you turn the handlebars left, you go left. They had a swivel, so it would do the exact opposite. Uh, So you turn the handlebars right, the bike goes left, and nobody could ride this bike. And the guy who created it took him months and months and months to get his brain used to the fact that when I turn the handlebars to the right, my bike is going left. But then once he learned it, he had to unlearn it to get back on a normal bike. It's fascinating. And that's the whole process. And how do you teach new neural pathways, Right. right? And so that's where you can't, you don't necessarily forget the old ones. But you can teach yourself new ones. And, and I think that's a great example. That's yeah. exactly the types of things that we try to do in, in multidisciplinary pain management that includes a psychological approach where you're, you're trying to teach people the distraction techniques, uh, the new things that they can learn. Um, a, lot of, a lot of cognitive behavior therapy is focused around people have, let's take, for example, public speaking, yeah. which is one of the biggest fears around. Huge. Um, people often, when they've looked at this, the fear is that people are often uh, afraid that they're going to be ridiculed. That's yep. their biggest fear. When you sit with a psychologist, what they actually make you do is is go through, okay, what are your beliefs about it? So you think you're going to be ridiculed. Mm-hmm. Then the, the the reality about anything, you have to face your fear in order to get order it, yep. over it. And so... Uh, cognitive behavior therapist will recommend now go public speak, yep. but actually document the facts, yeah. right? Does anybody actually ridicule you? No. It, it, you know, people, a lot yeah. of people... What actually are, happens? It, what actually yeah, happens? So, so, so what are you thinking versus what actually happens? And it's the same thing with pain. I see people so many times that I've said, okay, I need you to bend down and touch your toes so that I could see the range of motion in your low back. And they have that chronic pain presentation and they say, I can't bend. It's like, but you haven't even tried. Mm-hmm. Right? Why can't you bend? Oh, because I'm I'm afraid it's going to hurt. Okay, well, let's try it. Yeah, let's give it, let's get, give it a shot, and then they go through it. Okay, that's not so bad. Exactly. That's where you have to try to change what your preconceived belief is and turn it into what the reality is. Once you get their hands, your hands on them, do you, some? Is there also a, 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 a medication factor that you have to overcome too? Maybe they've already been through it long enough, or now they're getting on pills. You got to get them off that as well. Yeah, well, when you look at some of the chronic, well, most of the chronic pain medication is is often the same medications that they'll use for depression because it's supposed to be the same type of idea where you're trying to stop the psychological input. Um, The problem with those things is often it just kind of numbs you out versus focusing on the problem, uh, on the solution of solving that that pattern behavior problem where you have a certain preconceived notion. Um, So, yeah, you know, it it does depend. Mm -hmm. you know, medication does play its role when when, when it, it's needed, and then at other times it's not needed. But that's like anything, right? Sometimes massage therapy plays its role, and other times it doesn't. Get to uh, Ahmed here in Brampton. Hey, Ahmed, how are you? Hey, not bad, uh, doctor. So I, I got a, uh, I don't know, I mean, I've been going to my fa- family doctor, but I just want to get your opinion on sure. this. About six six years ago, uh, you know, I was I was coming out of the shower and with the Q-tip, uh, you know, I was cleaning my ears and I don't know what I 
was thinking. I start using the Q-tip into my belly button. <laughs> next, day, next day, I woke up and there was uh, blood on the little bit of blood, not much, uh, yeah. on the thing. And then after that, it got maybe infected. It was very, uh, you know, uh, the odor it was very nasty, but it was gone away. So I was like, okay, whatever, uh, it's gone. But every now and then, after like six months, sometimes even sooner. I get this abdominal pain and I, you know, sometimes the fluid comes out. So I've been to my doctors, uh, you know, they've given me the, once they've given me the antibiotic and the other times, uh, you know, they've given me the, some sort of, uh, uh, like, uh, poly, you know, I don't know the name I can't remember right now, top of my head, but something to go in the belly button. So it goes away, but it it keeps coming back. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I need to, you know, is there anything can be done with this or... Well, I mean, it it does sound like whatever you did on that day created some type of trauma to the area. Um, and at best that I can tell from talking to you, it just sounds like it's never had the chance to heal properly. Right. Um, so I, I think whatever efforts you're focusing on should be towards the healing process. Now, I don't know exactly what you've done in order. How long has it been going on, Ahmed? Uh, it's been actually, you know, four or five years, but oh, you wow. know, it's not, it's not like, uh, it comes and goes. So yep. I'll yeah. be fine for another three months, maybe six months. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, uh, maybe, you know, sometimes, you know, go to the beach with the kids swimming after a long, you know, when water goes in there, my doctor was saying that your belly button is quite deep. Uh, so maybe, you know, moisture stays in there and even yeah, but, I try to clean it after shower and stuff, but it's still... Yeah, I mean, I, again, it, you know, th- that's not really my specialty, but it does sound to me like uh, it's something that just has never had the chance to heal properly. Uh, and because it's never had the chance to heal prop- properly, it's prone to constant infections. And it really is like anything. It's even like kids that have chronic ear infections. Mm-hmm. They're common to have more chronic ear infections. So, sure. you know, any area of the body that has some type of trauma, it's more common to experience injuries and other things in that area of the body. We'll take a, a short break. Phone lines wide open. Got some calls uh, if you'd like to make them. We'd uh, be here to answer until 1 o'clock this afternoon. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on cell. Dr. Payne Show. Talk radio. AM 640. And your uh, free consultation as well. Call that number anytime. Get the uh, pain management happening. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on cell. Got some open lines. We'd love to talk to you uh, this afternoon. To, uh, right now on the Dr. Payne Show. And uh, Fred, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Good. Um, I I guess I, uh, I I injured my back a number of years ago, and, and the pain was extreme i i couldn't uh i couldn't cross the room by myself yeah, I, hear you. Uh, I mean it was it was totally debilitating and i remember thinking that you know if, if my if i had to save my child from a fire i couldn't yep. I, you know i couldn't do that mm-hmm. um and you know I, I went through the regimens of treatment and that but one of the things i did was and i didn't know back then to call it what you're calling it the right. cognitive CBT. Uh, stuff yep. yeah yeah uh, and I, you know, you'll try anything at a certain point. And I, I would just tell myself that, you know, the, you know, the pain isn't there. You know, just ignore it. Yep. It's like, it's like a, you know, loud radio on the wrong channel or something like that. Ignore it. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time. Yes. But eventually I started to get some relief from it. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything from, for a sudden stabbing pain. That no. catches you unaware. But, but that, that chronic, that ongoing thing. I was able to push it down over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, so when I heard you talking about it there, I, I, I didn't have words. I didn't have words for it or anything like that. You know, 
what it what it would do but it it does work if you focus on it if you've got a real pain and it's over a long period of time and you focus on it you can achieve relief mm-hmm. yep. especially if you're strongly motivated yeah and and fred the the point that you're highlighting that it takes a long period of time even if had you done it professionally i think it's great that you somehow figured it out on your own and some people do figure it out on your own but even done professionally it takes a long time and it's one of those things that can't be stopped. You have to keep practicing that type of uh, mentality in order to get over it. But you're absolutely right. It is something that if you can try to distract yourself, focus on other things, dim- uh, diminish how important it is to your life, it does have a way of making it better. It's just the reality. Like when I try to explain this to some people, you know, they think they say, well, I don't know if I believe in that. And, and they use terms like that. It's like there's nothing to believe in. Yeah. It, your your mind is the the motherboard for your body. It controls literally everything. Hence why when you're in a vegetative state, there is no pain, right? One of the things that a neurologist uh, checks for to, to see uh, the level of someone's coma is pain, right? Can, can the person, and they will literally take their knuckle and rub it against their sternum. And if you did that to anyone, they would just, Yelp. or even on their shin and, yeah. and, you know, that would kill. Uh, but you know, when you're, when you're brain dead, when you're in a vegetative state, there is no pain. Uh, that's why, you know, oftentimes people will say pain is kind of a vital sign similar to blood pressure right. uh, and to heart rate because of the very nature that if you feel pain, you're therefore alive. you're still alive. If <laughs> yeah. you're not feeling pain, yeah. there's a big problem there. And so, uh, you know, pain does have a perspective. It does, from an acute perspective, it's very important. It, it helps us to remove us from danger. That's its, its, its you know, premise. Um, but over the long term, for sure, if you're focusing on it, and some people just become their own worst enemies with it. They don't want to accept this this approach that you need to find a way to diminish its importance. And Fred, I'm, I'm glad that you're an example of someone uh, that was able to find that out on their own uh, and help yourself because, and, and you know, one of the things I always say is it, to even my team and one of the things my first clinician ever said to me was you can only help someone as much as they want to help themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so true. And, and I'm glad that you were able to help yourself that much, Fred. Well, thank you. I, it's good. I, I would have, Considering all the professional advice I was getting at the time, it would have been nice for someone to give me a booklet or something on it because, I, you know, I was just trying it out of desperation. And as, uh, frankly, I was when I started the exercise, I just said, you know, well, I will lie to myself and tell myself I don't feel the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with practice, you know, it, it became a reality. But I didn't know that there was uh, a technique. Right. Yeah, I, I, actually, Fred, if you're interested, read uh, The Brain That Changed Itself by Norman Doidge. Uh, he goes through a lot of this stuff, and then he's taken work from other people. So if you're interested in more readings, uh, you can look at, at uh, the, the sources that he used. But I think that would be uh, a, a great read. And for anybody out there that's uh, really interested in trying to understand the way the mind works, yeah. uh, A, keep listening to the show yeah, week after week. Uh, but yeah, read uh, uh, the book, The Brain That Changed Itself for Norman Do- from Norman Doidge. Uh, great book, highlights all these things that we've talked about, whether it's the phantom limb or you know the OCD issues, the uh, depression issues. It's so important. It highlights exactly what the name says, the brain that changed itself. You do have the power. Uh, everybody has the power that with your mind, with your thoughts, uh, you can get better, 100%. And uh, with that, uh, phone calls, if you have an opinion, have any questions on this topic or others, call us, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. 
Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. It's 12.32. We got to open lines, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You have pain concerns, health concerns. Bring them on. Dr. Uh, Dr. Lou's here to answer them. You know, it's funny you mentioned that uh, person trying to get them into the behavioral therapy, and they say, I don't believe in it. Well, it's not really belief. It's behavior. No. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 100%. It's, belief. It, it's so funny with, with healthcare. So many people say these things to me. Uh, I don't know that I believe in that, which that belief why they don't get better highlights the power of their mind because your mind works both ways. If you believe you can get better, you likely will. But mm-hmm. if you have the belief that you can't, the same is true. It's the it's the whole reason why the placebo effect exists, uh, right. right? You you you're given something, someone tells you it's going to be. It's even they've done research where it's even the disposition of the practitioner that you work with. Now, our job as practitioners is to be honest with people. But you know, there's a way to be honest where you could say, you know, you do have this but you can get through it versus saying, oh, that's really bad. I don't know that you'll get better or saying, yeah, no, 100 percent, you're going to get better. I guarantee yeah. it. Right. You don't necessarily want to be on the 100 guarantee page because you can't down. really guarantee yeah. healthcare, care. Uh, and you also don't want to absolutely say, no, there's nothing that can be done. But giving somewhere that, uh, some type of hope is very, very important. And the placebo effect is extremely important. E- there's even Sir William Osler. Um, who was a, a renowned physician and now has a whole healthcare system named after him, mm-hmm. often said that any practitioner that doesn't use the placebo effect to their advantage is an idiot. Why wouldn't you want to use uh, something that helps you get better? Even when people have said, oh, I think it helped, but I think it's because I believed it was going to help, so I don't know. It's like, well, what's the difference? Yeah, are you if, better? If at the end of the day you're better, what is the difference? That is the whole uh, outcome that you're looking for. And remember, it goes the other way. If you're doing an intervention, I've had people that, you know, we recommend, okay, we need to start you on a course of physiotherapy or whatever. Um, and if they start doing it and they say, you know, I don't think this is going to work already right then and there, yeah. I'll say, you know what, if you don't think it's going to work, we're not even going to start this because you could be providing them with the very best care. But if they already have that preconceived belief of it's not going to work, chances are it's not going to work because they have that belief. So you don't necessarily want to stop them. But then I sit with them and I try to educate them and tell them, like, listen, anything that you do, you do have to have a component of of wanting it to help you and believing yeah. that it can help you. Um, and, you know, whether that's surgery, and there's even outcomes with surgery. Uh, one interesting uh, study that was done for um, uh, arthroscopy of the knee was when you get some scoping done in the knee, they often put little slits to slide the uh, the scopes in. Yep. What they had was two groups of patients. One group of patients actually had the surgery. So they had the slit scopes put in and debris was taken out. Other group of patients uh, had the slits, but never Nothing. any scope. No intervention. So then when they woke up, the only thing that they knew was they saw scars. So they believed, yeah, I had a scope done. And their outcomes, both groups, exactly the same. No they kidding. both improved the exact same amount just by the very nature that they believed they wow. got the surgery. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. John, uh, good afternoon. How are you, pal? How are you, sir? Good. What's uh, what's your concern? Um, I don't know if it's the cause of a couple of accidents. I was in, in car accidents, but uh, I get these massive headaches. Mm-hmm. And you could be sitting there, there's no problem, I feel okay, and then bang, they just happen. And uh, I've been pronounced dead <laughs> twice, which obviously I'm still living. But uh, they will, my doctor will not give me any, you know, 
any medication, you know, because of the opiate thing and everything mm-hmm. uh, for the pain. So uh, I take acetaminophen with the uh, codeine in it, mm-hmm. and it's just as addictive. Yep. Yeah. Well, well for sure. Yeah. And uh, I remember I listened to Coast to Coast at night on your your station, and uh, good show. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a fantastic show because they get the best people there is but this one guy i caught the show right at the end and he was just screaming he was a doctor and he was screaming stay away from the acetaminophen okay so uh without it i don't have anything aspirins do nothing at all right yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm 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 of the belief that every single thing that we have to our dis, uh, you know exposure in terms of medicine therapies, et cetera, all has its role. And you know, sometimes acetaminophen is absolutely needed. Now, anything you know, one of the things that you highlight um, is anytime you use something for a long period of time, it's it's interesting how many people. Uh, I've talked to that say, you know, say we're talking about depression. It's like, oh, I'm on an antidepressant. Well, are you still depressed? Yes, but I still take the medication. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm on a pain med. Do you still have pain? Yes. So, right. I, you know, it's funny. They continue using something, some something that was given to them that's not necessarily happening. Or, yeah, I'm doing physio for my shoulder injury for the last year, but I'm not better, but I still do it, right? And it's like, yeah. well, why are you continuing an intervention that doesn't necessarily work is, is one question. Um but yeah, no, acetaminophen does play its role. I, I mean, oftentimes between the things like aspirin, Advil, Tylenol, uh, personal preference is a big deal. Also the belief, right? You know, we those are medications that we're often exposed to even as children. And so, you know, I remember when I was a kid, my mom always would say things like, oh, Advil doesn't work for me. Tylenol is what works for me. So she would use Tylenol. Right. So by the very nature, anytime we needed something, she gave us Tylenol. Um, and so that has uh, that sociological environment perspective plays a role in those things. Um, your issues, John, how long have they been going on for? Oh, for years. Okay. Years, really, since and and tell me a little bit about your headaches. Where are they exactly? They can be over the whole, you know. Uh, okay. Skull on top. And, and have you noticed what what brings them on? No, because I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here uh, listening to talk radio and uh, feel fine. And then all of a sudden, whack! It just comes on. And okay. It's so. So one important thing to remember when I ask people, you know, what makes it come on, and it's not mm-hmm. uncommon to hear what you just said, which is, oh, I'm not really doing anything, but maybe not doing anything just is what it makes on. it come on, right? And so my question is, what are the things that you've done, whether doing doesn't necessarily mean you have to be running or doing something. It could just be that you sit, and maybe the way your posture is when you're sitting is eliciting the headaches, or maybe when you sit down to listen to talk radio, your head is slightly turned to the left, like... That's the important thing about headache diaries is trying to figure out exactly what it is you're doing uh, that is eliciting these headaches. And so already if you're saying, you know, usually when I sit and listen to talk radio, I'm getting headaches. Maybe it's talk radio. John Scholes may be the problem. Totally. For you, for 100%. Your <laughs> Actually, it, it, it can happen anytime. Anytime. Okay. I was watching TV and I'm comfortable on the couch. Right. But, and, but and one whatever. common feature there is you're sitting, right? Right. So, so maybe do your headaches come on if you're out and about and moving around? Like, yes, yeah, they yes. still tend to come on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So again, you know, that's that's the tricky part with headaches is always trying to figure out exactly uh, what brings them on. This is where try to document it, right? You know, grab mm-hmm. a diary, 
Um, start today. You get a headache, write down the date, write down what the temperature's like outside, the things that you've eaten. Um, your you posture, know, everything. Your right? posture, what you were doing at the time, uh, you know, a few hours before, what led up to it. And then what happens is over a long period of time, after a few weeks, months, you get a professional look through that and you start looking for common features where it's like, well, here, here's something that's popping out. And a lot of the times it's trial and error, right? So, so we may very well mm-hmm. decide, okay, you know what? It seems like uh, sitting, for example, even though it may not be the case for you, is what's setting it off. So be careful. Let's limit your sitting to you know less than 10 minutes at any given time, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all trial and error. But um, you know, the other thing is is what we were just tr- uh, talking about is is trying to diminish the importance of the headache in your life. Uh, the, is, one, the one thing where you uh, have to go is through that tube. Is it the MRI? That thing. The MRI. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to take a break and we can discuss yeah, uh, we'll hang MRIs on, uh, after hang that. Hang on for a second. Yeah. We'll get uh, right back to your phone calls as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Taking your calls right till 1 o'clock. The Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. Yeah, your phone calls, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Sorry, John, had you on uh, hold there. MRIs. Yeah, let's discuss that. Sure, buddy. Fine. Hang on. Yeah, you, uh, John, you were speaking about MRIs. Um, you know, anytime long... So, so usually the indication for any type of imaging, whether it's, you know, for your spine, your extremities, your, your head, is if something is going on long term, more than, you know, four to six weeks, then yeah, it, it, it is an indication to see what exactly is going on there. Mm-hmm. MRI would be probably um, the best option to look at the brain. Um, it's not going to, if, if there's a benign cause to your headaches, for example, a migraine type of component or a tension type of component that won't be picked up. What what MRIs do is pick up things that are a serious pathology, like you know a cancer, a neurodegenerative disease, right. things like that. So so hopefully you know there's nothing like that. Um, also, before you jump to those things, a lot of those. Uh, types of serious uh, causes to headaches have other clinical signs that a good practitioner can pick out with a good physical exam. So, uh, yeah, MRI is definitely an important imaging uh, to consider with anyone with headaches, depending on the length of time they've been going on and the other associated clinical signs and symptoms. Hey, there was one thing I just want to say last. I'll do it quick. Sure. Uh, I went in for an MRI. You drink that drink and... It didn't work. It didn't show up at all on my body. So I had to go sit outside the, uh, in the waiting room half an hour. They gave me the drink again. It doesn't show up at all. And that was for for your brain? For everything. Uh, like I have Crohn's. So, uh, so yeah, it's, yeah, they were probably I doing get, some type of digestive study. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so they took me down the basement of the hospital, and you wouldn't believe it. It was just like Frankenstein. Dr. Frankenstein, you never seen such old, old spray <laughs> machines in your life. Honest wow. to God. And, but yet... They took the you one, to Area 51, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, yet the one of them worked. Well, there you okay. go. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's the key, as, as long as one of them works. It's a quality piece of equipment. <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly. the Corolla of X-ray yeah. machines. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Helena, how are you? Hello. Hi. Hi. In 2009, I had uh, been diagnosed with cancer. They removed my left breast. Mm-hmm. And now I cannot stand the pain. Mm-hmm. And my doctor sent me for ultrasounds. 
uh, MRIs and everything. And any time I bend over, I fall on the floor. The pain is so severe. And so it, and it's in that same area where the breast was removed? Yes. Yeah. yes. Okay. Um, yeah, it's definitely any time surgery is involved and you start removing any type of tissue, uh, all tissue has certain nerve innervation. And so once you start cutting away things, uh, you start to damage nerves. Um, and in damaging those nerves, uh, you know, the, there's going to be a pain syndrome. And, and can, or pain due to post-cancer and post-operative things is even more difficult to deal with. And I've had a couple people with uh, uh, similar issues where, uh, you know, a breast was removed and then they have excruciating pain in there. And the only the best advice that I can give there, and it's not even, you know, going to solve the issue completely, uh, but it goes back to how we started this show. If, if you can't tackle pain from its physical perspective, because that's the problem in that area, once you've had things removed, it's going to be very difficult to intervene from a physical perspective, then intervening from the psychological perspective with some type of behavioral therapy where you try to diminish its importance in your life, uh, try to distract from it, et cetera, et cetera, may be another option that you may want to consider. And what's the other options? Well, that's what I'm saying. If from yeah. the physical perspective, uh, there's limited options with that type of issue, uh, and you can't intervene from the physical perspective, then intervening from the psychological perspective is the other option. Have you ever tried any of that, CBT? The pain is so bad, I can't stand it. Yeah, well, that like... Yeah, well, and that's what I mean, that trying to uh, work with a professional who can help you, uh, from a psychological perspective, try to diminish that pain... Uh, it, it would would be of some benefit for sure. Okay, thank you. No problem. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's just tough to get that initial over the hump to get uh, you'll try the CVT, right? Yeah, and and again, it's and you could tell uh, even from that caller, it's just really hard for people to accept that's that the mind plays a role in pain for whatever reason, yeah. and and people are. Uh, and it's always a hurdle to try to get it over uh, and explain exactly its its importance. And again, I anytime I've ever said this to anybody, whether it's my patients, people listening, this is not me saying that you're making it up, that you know it's in your head, like you know all the, you're just thinking about it. No, no, no. I'm just simply saying that the brain is your motherboard. It integrates what you feel and sends signals back out to your brain. That's why you feel pain. So your let, brain. let's innervate in the motherboard, right? right? Like let's let's innervate that way. We'll get to uh, Kathy quickly before we break. Good afternoon, Kathy. Hi. All right. What's uh, what's your concern? Uh, well, my concern is uh, I had a, a Baker cyst, um, and yep. it's in the back of the knee, right? right? Yep. And uh, I'm I'm a fairly athletic person, mm-hmm. and um, it's really it's really it's been awful for me because okay. now when I'm walking, the pain is unbelievable. The cyst has gone down. She, my doctor, gave me naproxen, 500 milligrams. Okay. And that really did bring the cyst down. However, I had the MRI, and they now say the cartilage. She says you just need it. Um, she said an injection, likely. So, I've been put on the waiting list to see the orthopedic person. Okay. How old are you, uh, but, Kathy? Um, I'm 58. Okay. Yeah. So, what a Baker cyst is is so. Let's start from understanding the knee. The knee is uh, the meniscus is the cartilage in between the the femur and the tibia. Um, there's synovial fluid in that joint. What synovial fluid is, is like kind of like a WD-40. It's what mm-hmm. lubricates the joint. Um, mm-hmm. As things start to degenerate, as we get older, or you are very active or whatever, and that cartilage wears down, as mm-hmm. that cartilage wears down, the, the, that synovial fluid starts to seep out of the knee and can create a cyst called the Baker cyst, which is in the back of the knee. 
Oftentimes, the Baker cysts are pain-free. It's just an incidental finding where, you know, fluid is forming and it's in a cyst. And it only really becomes relevant if it starts impinging on structures, whether it's the muscle, the sciatic nerve, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but definitely, if your cartilage is worn, um, that shows an indication as to why the synovium is seeping out. I, I would have to see the extent to which your cartilage is worn uh, mm-hmm. in those problems. Uh, if you're ever interested in a second opinion, one of the clinics uh, that I have, um, I, I, I actually have a few uh, surgeons that work alongside of me specifically dedicated to knee surgery, um, and we could maybe see what they think of your issue. Kathy, here's a number for you, one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U. Again, one eight five 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 doctor Lou. Get a, a consultation happening for yourself. And in the meantime, you want to call the station. you got a few more minutes here to get through. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. And right back to your phone calls here, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Lynn, good afternoon. Thanks for hanging on. How are you? I'm okay. Good. I have a question for Dr. Lou. Sure. Okay. What is likely to cause a maxillary artery to crack in the facial region close to the nose? To crack? Yep. What do you mean by crack? Like repeated, like popping noises or it actually actually, ruptured? Last October, Mm -hmm. I had a bad um, bleed. And it was a maxillary artery, apparently, that cracked. Wow. Yeah, well... And I was lucky, apparently, that they found it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the maxillary artery is very important. It supplies, you know, the area of your face uh, on whatever that side where it's coming off of the carotid artery. Right. Um, So what makes a crack? Anytime an artery cracks or or ruptures, that's actually termed a hemorrhage, right? That's Mm -hmm. why people that have strokes could either be a clot that stops an area of an artery getting blood, or you can have the opposite where the artery actually opens up and blood spills into the head and there's hemorrhaging. So it's a similar type of thing. You had hemorrhaging uh, in that area. And your question is, why would that happen? Yeah. Sometimes it's just a weak point. And a lot of times when they've seen people, uh, you know, you can even look at, sometimes you'll see it on x-rays and it's an incidental finding uh, with the abdominal aorta where you'll see that there's a bulging in it. Um, Sometimes prolonged high blood pressure, uh, for whatever reason, uh, can cause that type of thing. And other times it would just be insidious, idiopathic. We don't know why it happened. So, right. uh, you know, and that's probably the, the, the more likely answer is you'll never know. Uh, the good thing is that you caught it and, and that you're okay, which, because again, that is a pretty main artery. Uh, and, you know, it, you need to stop any type of hemorrhaging anywhere. Okay. Yep. Thank uh, you. No problem. Appreciate it, Lynn. We'll get to uh, Nancy. Good afternoon, Nancy. Hi, yes. Um, I was just calling about, um, I injured my back about 15 years ago. I fell down the stairs, mm-hmm. and I've been in chronic pain ever since. Okay. Um, I've had every test that you can imagine. I've seen every orthopedic surgeon, neurosurgeon, sports doctor, acupuncturist, all of it, all of it. Okay. And, um, and I'm still just stuck on pain meds. Right. Is there any, like... Do, do things, I guess. Yep. What has happened is. So, so uh, Nancy, have you tried? Things? Yeah, have you tried anything from the psychological perspective, like we've been talking? I about? did. Okay. I have. And? I went to a, I went to a clinic, and it helps. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still living my life. Yep. Um, I work full time. I part, I teach part time. I have a, a huge family and an active life, but. I'm still in constant pain. Yeah. And it's exhausting. It's, it's a bit depressing. Mm. Um, 
It's hard. It's hard to live yeah. with pain for yeah, a few and, years. Yeah, and your issue is, is clearly complex. What I would suggest, what's probably a better option, is uh, we can maybe connect off air, uh, just because I see there's a lot of calls coming through. I want to try to get it to everybody. But uh, give me a call. Uh, leave me a message with your contact, or I'll have your contact from the, the call screen, and I'll give you a call, and yeah. we can talk uh, in depth about it. Because, again, there's, there's probably a lot that can still be done. Angela, we'll get you in here. Uh, what's your concern? Hi there. Um, I've had uh, multiple accidents, multiple surgeries. Most recently, I had a Brostrom Gold technique done on my left ankle. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been on disability for almost two years, also uh, with mental health issues. And I've been told over and over again how pain relates to, um, you know, your brain. And I've been told to do hypothalamic exercises to help with the pain. I'm just wondering if, because of my history, like I said, I've had other surgeries and other problems. I had bunion surgery at age 12. I had dislocated hips at birth. Mm -hmm. Who I should be seeing? I've been looking at Ehlers-Danlos as a possible diagnosis, but I've just been wondering if I should be seeing a pain clinic or a rheumatologist, what my next step would be, because... um, Mm-hmm. Still in a lot of pain. Yeah, who, who, the specialty that you see often is is predetermined by what the issue that you have is. So rheumatologists uh, tend to deal with a lot of autoimmune uh, diseases uh, versus you know a chronic pain doctor will deal more with uh, the mechanical types of pains mm-hmm. that may be long term. Uh, so same okay. thing. L- let's connect off air uh, and have a longer discussion. Uh, and yeah. for anybody listening out there, because I see there's a lot of calls coming out, and I just want to highlight this point. At any point in the week, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou. Call, hit option two, leave me a message, your name, your number. When a good time to contact you is, I'll get back to you within forty eight hours, and we have discussions. Again, we've uh, kind of run out of time here this week, but again, just to reiterate to info at paincarecanada.com. You want to get a hold of uh, Doctor Lou, and like you just mentioned, one eight five five. Five five Doctor Lou D R L O U anytime. Get that free consultation happening. Start getting better with that phone call. The Doctor Pain Chill till next weekend. Right here, Talk Radio AM six forty.